0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace Podcast. Another week and another biblical passage awaits us to explore. Our goal is to gain insight and application from God's Word that can encourage us in our day-to-day lives. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. After a number of weeks working through some chapters in the book of Luke, this week we will switch books and turn our attention to John chapter 3 and the infamous encounter of a man named Nicodemus that he had with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll call this episode Nick at Night for reasons that will become obvious shortly. Before we get into the text, though, allow me to propose a statement for us to think upon. Here's it. Here it is. The one thing that will keep a lot of people from entering God's heaven is the very thing they are relying upon to get there. Let me repeat that. The one thing that will keep a lot of people from entering into God's heaven is the very thing they are relying upon to get there. Now, what might that one thing be? What, what is it that so many of us tend to grasp hold of and cling to in hopes of entering heaven? It's religion, our religion. And what do I mean by religion? It's, this is a, a system of rituals, creeds, traditions, sacraments, philosophies, works. Uh, the system that compels us to participate with earnest and hopes that this collection of beliefs and activities will deliver us somehow into God's presence in heaven. It is chock full of stuff that you do, and it's all designed to help you gain favor with God. And loyalty to the system is really important. And to doubt it is dangerous. So we put our heads down often and just plow forward trying to do our best in hopes of ending up in the best place. Going to heaven is something most of us do desire. And to know that you have eternal life, man, that's a relief beyond proportions. Just to have that deadpan assurance. We would love to have a for sure guarantee of making it into heaven. And it is our system of religion and creeds and rituals and activities that, that we expect and hope will provide that assurance. And so we we look to even our churches and other types of things to lead the way. But, but does it work? You know, the 21st century life is pretty strange at times, you know, and we have a lot of TV ads, TV ads for drugs. And I bet you uh, you can see, remember some of those different types of ads that are on TV. And they, they go on for a brief period of time telling you all the wonderful things that this drug does. And then there's this very quick, fast pace and a much more hushed voice uh, uh, going on and on, giving you the disclaimer of the side effects and some of the possible risks of that drug. So imagine an ad going something like this. Migraine headaches are a real problem, and Zinglanta is one of the best remedies for them. Zinglanta is one of the most popular medications prescribed for major migraine disorders which can interfere with everyday living. In today's fast-paced world, you don't have time to deal with extreme migraines. Zinglanta can help anyone who needs relief. Talk to your doctor to see if Zinglanta is right for you, and say goodbye to the pain. Zinglanta be balanced again. Then, in a quicker, more hushed voice, Zinglanta side effects cannot be anticipated. If any Zinglanta side effects develop or change in intensity, you should notify your physician immediately. Only your doctor will be able to tell you whether you should continue taking Zinglanta. Some of the more common Zinglanta side effects may include abdominal pain, agitation, anxiety, constipation, decreased sex drive, diarrhea, or loose stools, difficulty with ejaculation, dizziness, dry mouth, fatigue, gas, headache, decreased appetite, and they also may include increased sweating, indigestion, insomnia, nausea, nervousness, rash, pain, sleeplessness, sore throat, tingling, or pins and needles, Tremor, vision, problems, and vomiting. Less common or rare Zinglanta side effects may include acne, allergic reaction, altered taste, back pain, blindness, breast development in males, breast pain or enlargement, breathing difficulties, bruise-like marks on the skin, cataracts, chest pain, cold, clammy skin, pink eye, coughing difficulty, breathing difficulty, swallowing, double vision, dry eyes, fainting, and fluid retention. And a few people's inglanta side effects may also trigger manic or hypnotic states, which include sensations of high energy, lack of need for sleep, grandiose thoughts and feelings, and generally inappropriate and out-of-control behavior, even death. Now, after hearing all that, I don't know if I want that drug. That drug seems to be pretty risky. Now, let's just imagine that same flavor, the same kind of ad. However, let's say it goes something like this. Going to hell is a real problem, All your re- all your and your religion, rather, is one of the best remedies for it. You see, your religion is a major way millions of people seek to find relief from this disorder, which affects everyday life. How many millions of people out there are suffering under the strain of a lack of assurance or being right with God, or do not know for sure what happens when they die? Or do not have a sense of really understanding God or being close to Him? How many do not know what to say to others who are going through personal loss or tragedy or unable to point them to God in a, in a real kind of way? Oh, let your religion help. In today's fast-paced world, you don't have time to think all this through. Rely on your religion to guide you through various rituals and rites to soothe the ache of uncertainty. Yes, your religion will help. Indulge in your religion and find real relief then in a quicker more hushed voice your religion has a variety of side effects talk to your spiritual doctor to tell you whether you should continue pursuing your religion Some of the more common religious side effects may include lack of assurance, not knowing for sure whether you will not go to hell, no clear idea of what you must do to be saved, a sense of emptiness, a lack of real peace, blatant hypocrisy, feelings of inadequacy, doubt, uncertainty, lack of fulfillment, restless nights, sense of impending doom, guilt, fear, panic, resentment, feelings of unworthiness, abdominal pain, agitation, anxiety, headache, and insomnia. Other religious side effects may include blindness, irrationality, dogmatism, double vision, double standards, legalism, pride, snottiness, head swelling, false humility, inability to think clearly, deception and gullibility, harsh criticisms and unrealistic expectations, chronic arrogance. Under no circumstances can your religion offer any guarantee of not going to hell or any certainty of being right with God or how to really be rid of your sins. And a few people religious side effects may also trigger manic or hypnotic states, which include sensations of high energy, grandiose thoughts and feelings and generally inappropriate and out-of-control behavior. Well, (laughs) just like with the physical drug, maybe we should be re-looking at this religion and saying, is this really (laughs) what I need? Because again, as we'll understand with religion, you do not get any kind of certain guarantee or assurance, because it always depends upon you in some way or another. And you know, when you buy a product or you have a product and it doesn't work, you bring it home, you spent money, it's an appliance, whatever you plug in it, it doesn't work. What do you do? You take it back. (laughs) And so religion does not provide, as I said, an absolute ironclad free guarantee, uh, a risk free, rather, guarantee of having eternal life. But that's what it's supposed to do. That's what the product you're banking on, that's what it's about. So it takes a degree of some internal honesty and reflection to think that through and to see what if there really is a guarantee available? What if you can have fixed assurance and have it be unshakable? Wow, if so, how does one have this? How do you get that? Where is it? How do you find it? And how awesome would life be here on earth now if we knew that? Well, the one thing that'll keep a lot of people from entering God's heaven is the very thing they are relying upon to get there. And let's see this demonstrated in our passage this week, starting in John chapter 3 and verse 1. And here we're introduced to a man named Nicodemus. The verse says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So we just look at that. First, his name is Nicodemus. The name means to uh, uh, means a conqueror. And it's where we even get the uh, popular uh, brand name Nike, the Nike company. So we have Nicodemus. His name means conquer, And it tells us that he was a man of the Pharisees. This means he was a devout Jew and he would be a scholar in the things of the law, a key teacher of the people. Uh, As Jews, remember, they are the chosen people. They were favored by God. Clearly in the scripture, we see that. They were given the prophets. They were given the law. They were given the bloodline to the Messiah and the promise of a Messiah. They were given the covenant and the covenants, plural. And they were, many of those things were unconditional as God declared them his people and his chosen people. They got it all. And the non-Jew, well, to the Jews, they were uh, inferior They called them the Goya, which means dogs. You see, Jews won the birth lottery. And here's Nicodemus. He's not your average Jew either. He's a Pharisee. He was part of a sect or a group of men that was within Judaism. They were very influential amongst the people. They held some spiritual authority and often political influence too. The Pharisees, emphasized the oral traditions of the law and they saw the oral traditions as equal to the written torah and the word there they emphasized holy living as well amongst the people in everyday life and even in everyday practices and not just at the temple and temple worship they numbered about 6000 at this time according to historian josephus they came from all walks of life and trades they were not the priesthood though at the temple uh, they were also more conservative in their beliefs and their traditions, such as they held belief in angels and, the, and a bodily, physical resurrection, and uh, the ones, the priests and things that were at the temple, often called the Sadducees, uh, they didn't have those, they were far more liberal in their beliefs. So there was some tension there between the Pharisees and the Sadducees as well. Now, according even to a few verses later in verse 10, Jesus himself calls Nicodemus a key teacher within Judaism. And so uh, Jesus calls calls him that. And so we could say here, Nicodemus, we could call him like Mr. Religion. He had it all going for him. He was a Jew. He was prominent and a teacher and of the Pharisees and devout and so forth. It also says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This means he also had a role in the government in Israel. This denotes that he was a member of a group called the Sanhedrin, which was the highest and legal legislative judicial body amongst the Jews. Now, they were still under Roman occupation, but amongst the Jews and the Jewish uh, self-government that they were allowed, uh, the Sanhedrin was very important. And here, only 71 members of that body, and there's Nicodemus. He's one of them as well. So he's a two-time winner of the birth lottery. First, he's a Jew, which is above all the other nations. And second, he is an established and even wealthy Jew, of obviously prominent and having these uh, good positions and so forth. Well, in John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, This man, this Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now notice he comes to Jesus alone at night in Jerusalem. Nick at night, haha. He's, this is now certainly not the time of social calls in the evening, so this is definitely out of the ordinary, not something you would necessarily expect from such a man as Nicodemus, but then again, Jesus is pretty compelling. I mean, we read in the chapter before John 3 and chapter 2, uh, this would have been just you know shortly before this evening. Uh, The Passover of the Jews was at hand in 2.13. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews, these would be the ones at the temple now, uh, the priesthoods and priests and such, answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. As jesus deliberately conflates the temple and himself his body because the temple was where the ark of the covenant was this was indeed the very presence of god jesus is god so he had said these things, he had cleansed the temple, that word got around, I'm sure there was quite a buzz about Jesus. And in verse John two twenty three, right before our passage in chapter 3, verse 1 uh, of John, we read, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs, which he did notice he had done many signs. I'm sure they were awesome. They aren't listed here as far as the detail, but can you imagine? There's a buzz going around. Jesus is doing signs. He's got this strange authority. He cleansed the temple, etc. The leaders then are expected to weigh in by the people. Who is this guy? What do you think of him? What's your opinion of him? And so in John chapter 3, verse 2, we see Nicodemus then being drawn to Jesus, coming to him at night, uh, coming alone, and he says, we know you are a teacher come from God, Rabbi. No one can do these things, these signs, that you do unless God is with him. He calls him Rabbi. That's a title of respect and honor. Nicodemus comes with some humility, even a posture of a pupil to a teacher, even though he himself was Mr. Religion. <laughs> with this humility, though, he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Notice he speaks in the, with the word, the pr- pr- plural pronoun we. Well, who are the we? Who is Nicodemus speaking on behalf of? And we have to assume, well, he was a loyal Pharisee and he was embedded into the system of religion. This was his identity. This uh, Judaism was his status, his physical birth, all connected to it. And Nicodemus is acknowledging that God was with Jesus when he performed the signs and the miracles. So, hey, I can see you're, you're of God. When Nicodemus says we say this, that's not really true. That's not what most Pharisees would say. In fact, eventually they're going to publicly declare that he, Jesus, is actually Satan doing these signs. Nicodemus thinks that, hey, they'll all be reasonable and rational. We can be fair-minded people and work this out. (laughs) No way. There's going to be lots and lots of spin to explain away the obvious of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so Nicodemus, though, he's perhaps more open here. He wants to be reasonable. So he's coming to Jesus, uh, and he's he's even acknowledging that Jesus is a teacher. He's come from God and that God is with him. But notice how far short that really is. Jesus isn't a teacher. He's the teacher, and he hasn't come from God. He is God. So Nicodemus is not seeing all the things that clearly that could be need to be seen here why does he come at night? Well, obviously he doesn't want to be seen, right? Duh. Uh, which means he knows that even though he thinks this is a good thing and he's going to try to be a go-between here, this isn't necessarily kosher amongst his fellow Pharisees. It takes some courage for him to be willing to do this, and yet he still knows it's not. he's going to do it in broad daylight. But also it's a good time to talk. Perhaps he just doesn't want to be interrupted. They could have a definite uh, private dialogue conversation at this hour. So maybe he's hoping there, maybe he's going to try to instruct Jesus a little bit, like, let me coach you on some public relations. It's not going really well for you. Um, he he also maybe goes, though, in hopes of uh, bringing the Jewish and leaders and Jesus kind of together. That's why he says the we. But I think also, Nicodemus is curious. He is open to what Jesus is saying. He's probably heard him teach a number of times. He's heard of or seen even some of the amazing signs. And he's like, who is this? I want to hear more. So he maybe is then perhaps personally drawn by the words and accents of Jesus. And he's stimulated spiritually. In other words, Jesus has gotten his attention in a a good way. Because, you know, this Jesus, when you really think about all that he's saying and doing, he is compelling and fascinating and yet infuriating but also intriguing and a bit mysterious and surprising. And so, indeed, Nicodemus could be drawn there. In fact, John says in his prologue in chapter 1, verse 14, about the Lord Jesus, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you behold Jesus, you're beholding full of grace and truth. A few verses later, John says in verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So the words of Jesus are declaring God to us. So Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter then when we get to this conversation. When we think about um, Jesus and his words compelling and drawing, Nicodemus, may I ask one thing of you? How about us? Do we really understand Jesus? Do we really not hopefully come to him as well with some curiosity, with some realization that he's saying things that's a little different than how I've used to think about them or how my religion might be saying? And yet he's intriguing, I mean, he speaks of unconditional love and acceptance and assurance. I just hope we're more like Nicodemus here, willing to go and and hear. And think about the things that he is saying. Jesus uh, goes straight to the heart of the issue in this conversation Now, as we go back to it in John chapter 3. And it's much like what he did with the rich young ruler, uh, which we looked at a few weeks ago in our podcast, because Jesus goes right to the core issue. And he says in verse 3, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And see, he jumps right out, most assuredly, verily, verily. This already gets your attention. This is attention-getting. He speaks with such authority. And, And he's exposing the highest value to Nicodemus here. Nicodemus, what was the basis of all of his advantage and everything was his physical birth. And Jesus says, literally, you must be born again. And that phrase could be, the way the Greek word is constructed and what the concepts within it, literally could be said, born again from above. Unless you're born again from above. Speaking of another place above and another, the time, another additional time again, a second time. Wow. So Jesus gets radical. He completely is out. This is outlandish and startling to someone like Nicodemus. He must be born again to see the kingdom of God. This is almost like fighting words. Like, this is like, you know, insulting someone's mother. You know, you don't mess with mama. You know, you insult mom, we're going to have a problem. If somebody says, uh, your mama is so ugly, she threw a boomerang and it refused to come back. Or your mama is so stupid, she put lipstick on her forehead to make up her mind. Well, you don't mess with that. Those are fighting words, right? And just to a Jew, just like you don't mess with mama, you don't mess with physical birth to a Jew. We're the winners of the birth lottery. So, Jesus is introducing some new truths here to really uh, up, to grab a hold of Nicodemus' attention. He's the first new truth, as he's saying, the kingdom is experienced not by reform, but by rebirth. You don't reform or keep getting better. That's what they were trying to do. If they kept thinking, the Jews and the Pharisees and such, if they just become more faithful and as a nation, especially the elites, uh, then the Messiah will come. No, it's by rebirth, Jesus is saying. So Nicodemus says in verse 4, How? Can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) He's thinking physical. It's like, I'm walking this through my mind, Jesus, and nope, this isn't working. So Jesus then says in verse 5, most assuredly again, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus is saying here is the first truth is you must be born again. The second truth here is he's saying and this birth is spiritual in nature. It's a physical birth you've had first, and now a second birth is needed a spiritual regeneration. So this is uh, really interesting. And these are all personal uh, first uh, person pronouns, to, to, as he says, to Nicodemus. These verbs are also in the singular. It's personal. It's you, unless you, Nicodemus, are born again. This is for you. The flesh is gives birth to flesh, and the spirit gives birth to the spirit. The flesh would be represented by the water. The water is related to physical birth, and then the spirit is related to spiritual birth. When you're born of the flesh, the preposition in Greek there is the Greek preposition ek, and it means out from as a source. So you're born out from the physical as a source, and then you're born of the Spirit, out from of the Spirit as a source. So why is this so disruptive for Nicodemus and so hard for him to hear? He was totally counting on his lineage and his, uh, his birthright to Abraham to get into the kingdom of God. His physical birth was prominent, and Jesus is saying, nope, that has nothing to do with it. Nicodemus, the ticket you're holding for admittance into the kingdom is worthless. It's not valid. Don't hang on to it. It won't get you in. His birth was directly attached to his religion. He could have seen this coming, actually, if he would recall and think about John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus Christ, who not that long before this time had been preaching in the wilderness and all of Israel was, uh, was caught up with that and went out to hear him. And John the Baptist himself said to the Pharisees in Matthew 3, verses 7 through 9, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, John the Baptist said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So right there, John the Baptist was giving them a clear hint something spiritual, something different than just Abraham's our father. In Matthew, John chapter 3, then in verse um, 7, Jesus goes on and he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Uh, you know, Abraham might remember, yeah, that John the Baptist stuff that he said, I vaguely remember that, but we blew him off because, you know, he called us a brood of vipers. But now Jesus brings us back in, this idea of the physical birth, and he says, do not marvel that I say you must be born again, or you must be born from above. And he's gonna now teach this with an illustration. The point, there's two births. One is spiritual, comes from above, and it's a, and it's a second one, not a physical one. We have two things, and he's gonna illustrate it now by using the wind. In verse 80, he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And in other words, you don't see the, the physical wind, but you can see its effect. And that's the idea of the, the comparing out of the Spirit. One who is born of the Spirit is in another dimension, a different reality. Like the wind is in an unseen dimension of the physical world. And this is this new dimension of spiritual life. We must be born again. And so it's being able to see things with some uh, spiritual reality and spiritual illumination. You know, on paper, I can see two-dimensional, a box drawn out, uh, but I don't see a cube. I can see a circle drawn on paper, but I don't see the sphere or the globe. That's what he's talking about. God wants to show us the spiritual dimension, a spiritual reality. And, you know, I think like a Taylor Swift song, one of the things she says, are you ready for it? That's asking all of us, are we ready for this new dimension and reality that God wants to show us? So here's Jesus using a spiritual broom, in effect, sweeping away these false notions that had been tripping up Nicodemus, sweeping away all the rituals, all the prayers and fasting, the tithing, the good works, the circumcision, the keeping of the Sabbath, the observing of the feast, all swept away in one sentence. All of it had a place, it was good, it had good Jewish practice, but all of, all of it had a reason, but none of it was the basis for entering the kingdom because it wasn't of their physical birth or religion or religious credentials. And so with that in mind, Nicodemus must be standing there with his jaw kind of dropping, and he says, how? In verse 9, how can these things be? Presumably now he understands that Jesus is talking about a second spiritual birth, and so he asks, how? Honest question. And Nicodemus will get his answer. But first, Jesus challenges him. Jesus is indeed loving and forgiving and merciful, but he also does rebuke and exposes as well. And it's all part of being an omniscient God who's wise and sovereign and one to whom we all give an answer to. So Nicodemus, uh, get, uh, Jesus kind of gets passive aggressive with him almost. He says in verse 10, he said, are you the teacher of Israel, the teacher of Israel? That's a compliment. And do not know these things? No, that's not a compliment. We can, blind, we can be blind to the real truths and miss them completely. And we have to admit, we are uh, reliant upon God showing us and revealing to us the spiritual dimension in these spiritual realities. We create our own religious systems, logical, reasonable, fair. We invent them, so to speak, and we do good things to get good things. That's the whole idea. Be good and gets good. Have good behavior. Be consistent. Be sincere. Not all. Not, you know. Don't be too bad, and then you'll be okay. And all religions are going to say this one way or another, whether it's formal or our own individual put-together philosophies. But Isaiah 55 would really help us at this time. And when God, through Isaiah, is speaking to Israel, a profound truth in verses 8 and 9, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God has his thoughts and his ways. And let's face it, they're divine, ultimate. They're of God. They're totally true. They're superior. They're infinite. And we have our ways, our thoughts and our ways, and they're merely human, so clearly inferior, not accurate, always, and not aware of the spiritual dimension. Our ways will then attach to performance and to behavior and to our sincerity and effort. And God's ways attach to grace, undeserved favor, his unfailing love and his rich kindness and grace where he gives that which we don't deserve to people like us who even deserve the opposite. We deserve judgment because of our sin. Man, you can't make that up. Be careful that you're not embracing or clutching or holding on to, clanking to, depending on that which contains your thoughts. Because our thoughts are not the same as God's thoughts, and there is a big difference. Religion is not good enough to gain heaven. So ask Nicodemus and don't hang on to it. His thought was that he was good. I'm good. I'm in good shape. I'm in great shape, actually. I'm a Jew. Won the birth lottery. And I have all the advantages of that. Plus, I'm devout and sincere and a leader amongst the Jews. So I'm Mr. Religion. I'm good. But his thoughts were not God's thoughts because Jesus says, You need to be born from above. You need to let your thoughts go and embrace God's thoughts. But what happens if you let your thoughts go and you embrace God's thoughts? What are God's thoughts capable of? Isaiah 55, we continue, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down in the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it spring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, God's words, his truth, his thoughts, his ways, they're spiritually alive. There's some activity here, spiritual reality here. And when we believe his thoughts, those words, they don't come back void. They accomplish his purposes, and his purposes are they bring forth life spiritual life there's growth they're productive and what do we what are we to do we are to be persuaded that god's thoughts are the ultimate reality and true and can be depended upon and are accurate and and we can base everything on them his ways and not cling to our own his thoughts man they're way different than ours his grace is sweet it's radical, powerful, but how refreshing and amazing is it to know that you are loved unconditionally and he views you positively because he made you, he created you, and he wants you to know him, to be, re- be regenerated, to understand his thoughts, which is mostly about the gospel of Christ, and then walk in his ways and have newness of life and live in spiritual reality. This whole conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus is, is having that he's having will detail exactly how you can have this life and this assurance, how you can know you're saved, how you can have complete and total assurance. The answer is going to be Jesus himself, his love, demonstrated on a cross, dying for you, paying for our sins. The answer is Jesus, again, risen, Victorious, alive and the giver of life to all freely by grace, and if we operate by his thoughts and his ways and believe in what he's done for us, that's the ticket of Nicodemus could you could Jesus ask you and me what he asked Nicodemus? You are a church member, and you don't know these things. You are religious and invested in a system, and you don't know these things. You have your own personalized philosophy, and yet you don't know for sure where you will go. Ah, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And he'll say to us, now hear them and believe them. You know, earlier in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, we read God pleading with Israel, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So may we all reason with him, his thoughts, and his truth here today. And be willing to acknowledge that religion doesn't work. It doesn't deliver. It has all these side effects. Lacking assurance, no guarantees. It's just religion. The one thing that will keep a lot of people from entering God's heaven is the very thing they are relying upon to get there. Human thought. Let it go. And please, come back next time, next podcast, as we finish this famous conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. It's part two, which completes our story, where Jesus really explains the answer of how Nicodemus can be born again. And without hearing that, the whole thing will be an unfinished uh, (laughs) uh, conversation. Podcast. So we sure hope you will uh, look into uh, coming back for the next podcast, part two of this. And we're also going to look into the other accounts about Nicodemus and really see indeed that he did let it go. Not in this night in John chapter three, but we can come to that conclusion as we see the rest of his story. I sure hope you do come back for part two, the best part, in fact. But for now, let's pray. Thank you, Lord for your total monopoly on the truth you're the creator you're the ultimate reality and you're the one to whom we are giving living under and give an account to and thanks for providing us your truth your thoughts and giving us life and hope and assurance all through your grace exp- and found in the the death and the resurrection of christ if we simply believe in what you've provided for us through him So we pray and ask this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you again for listening. And please give us a like on your podcast provider. That always can help for for our podcast. And also always remember, where the Spirit of God is, there is hope.